Are you looking to improve employee engagement and retention? Do you struggle with decisions on who to hire or who to promote? I have an amazing opportunity for a forward-thinking, purpose-led, people-first organisation to work with me on the first pilot Happier at Work programme for corporates. The programme is entirely science-backed and you will have tangible outcomes in relation to employee engagement, retention, performance and productivity. The programme is aimed at people leaders with responsibility for hiring and promotion decisions. If this sounds like you, please get in touch at ifa at happieratwork.ie. That's A-O-I-F-E at happieratwork.ie. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for leaders who put people first. The podcast covers four broad themes, engagement and belonging, performance and productivity, leadership equity, and the future of work. Everything to do with the Happier at Work podcast relates to employee retention. You can find out more at happieratwork.ie. You can actually use data to explain, right, these are the decisions we're making. These are the reasons why. All of a sudden, people feel more content because they understand it. They can see what's happening. They don't feel that something's being hidden from them. And then they feel more secure. When you feel secure, you are happier at work. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so delighted you could join me today. My guest today on this interview-based podcast is the CEO of Perfusion, Natalie Cramp. Natalie is a digital marketing and startup operations expert. She has more than a decade of experience in leading private, public and third sector organizations through significant periods of innovation and change. This includes creating and scaling tech solutions for government organizations and developing the digital capability of third sector organizations as well. Currently, Natalie is the CEO of Data Science Consultancy Profusion. At Profusion, she leads a team of 60 consultants, data scientists, data architects, developers and digital marketing experts. She is responsible for Profusion's strategic direction, the expansion of its product offering and the growth of its blue chip client base. Now, as you can imagine, myself and Natalie have a really interesting discussion all around the importance of data in organizations and how we can use data to make better people decisions, to be more transparent and to be more fair or fairer at work. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Natalie with my own background in market research and data analytics and a real passion for bringing more data into how we make people decisions at work. You know, we had such an interesting conversation around how we can use data, what are the important things to look out for, and what are the kind of problems that we can solve at work using data. As always, I do a synopsis at the end of the podcast today. So if you want to stay tuned, listen in for that. And I would love for you to get involved in the conversation as well. So you can do that through social media. The two main places that you'll find me are on LinkedIn, Aoife O'Brien, A-O-I-F-E, O-apostrophe-B-R-I-E-N. I'm spelling that out for the non-native Irish speaking or people who are not familiar with how to say and pronounce uh, Irish names. You can also connect with me through my website, happieratwork.ie. And I'm also on Instagram, happieratwork.ie. And I hope to connect with you there. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Natalie, you are so welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to have you as my guest today, and I'm excited for what we're going to be covering today. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners, give a bit of a flavour of what you do, how you got to where you are, things like that? Of course, it's really lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so yes, I'm Natalie. I have had a little bit of a squiggly career path, as I think they're now calling it. I think everyone um, has. Yes, I love <laughs> and I love that term. Love it. Um, and but it really the sort of common denominator has been about how do you scale big movements of people and what's the digital and data um, sort of underpinning that you need to do that in order to solve problems, whether they're for a business or whether that's for society. 
And so I sort of started life, as many people do, as a management consultant with Deloitte, um, trying to tackle sort of people, people related transformation challenges and then um, moved to work for London 2012 for four years to mobilise the movement of 200,000 people that we needed to make the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games a reality, which is obviously an amazing experience and, and learned a huge amount there. Um, but and that was really where I was doing some much more rudimentary data work to to really understand the makeup of that 200,000. And would we even be able to get those people? Would we have um, shortages? And how do you address that ahead of time? And how do you not drain London of the resources that you need? Because they also needed hospitality people um, with everybody sort of coming to see it. Um, and then built the Mayor of London sort of legacy programme from that called Team London, which was a movement of um, volunteers across the city to try and make our city a better place. And how do you support charities to be able to work more effectively with businesses? And how do you inspire the next generation of volunteers to be able to use it as a route to get to work and build the skills they needed to get to work? Um, and also, how do you make volunteering sexy again, to be honest, and connect with a community that aren't currently volunteering? So, you know, the the sort of traditional volunteer workforce was actually dying out um and you can't say to somebody yes we need you to come three days a week and spend lots and lots of time with us when they've got busy jobs and demanding you know demanding personal lives or they're a student and so how do you connect with that younger generation and get them to volunteer and technology and creating the right um opportunities and this sort of speed networking, speed volunteering app, um, which enabled people to sort of gamify it a bit and check in became became the way to do it. Um, and then moving on to uh, work for um, a startup, which was trying to fix the problems between business and schools connecting to be able to improve careers education. Um, and of course, if you're going to do that across the whole country and work with different schools, you need to have the right digital and data underpinning. So it's a huge movement of volunteers to support schools. It was a huge movement of people to inspire the next generation. But in order to make that a reality, you had to understand the state of the nation. You had to understand what was happening and data tools were really key to that. And that led me to then um, take up my role as CEO of Profusion, which is a data agency and consultancy. And I sort of, I love solving problems. I'm a fixer. Like my friends will all tell you I'm a total fixer. And I really believe data is a way to solve our problems now and in the future. And um, we work with all sorts of businesses, large and small. So from FTSE 100 companies to charities to SMEs to government. Um, and it's all about how can data really be at the heart of every decision your organization makes so how do we put data in the right hands at the right time to create the value that you need and that can be about increasing your customer engagement it can be about improving your innovation or really critically it can be about how do you drive a more inclusive organization and as somebody who's always been involved in big movements of people i'm really really passionate about how you bring the two areas together we've seen the lack of progress we have made as a nation, as businesses in a really critical area in um, diversity and inclusion. Um, and, you know, we've been trying to do this for 10, 15 years and we're making very, very slow progress. And it's still supposedly at the top of the boardroom agenda because we've not made enough progress. We've now had to adapt to the way of working to be more global, but also to deal with hybrid working after the pandemic and change the ways that we engage with our staff. And then I think there's lots of ways that data can help to enable people to ultimately be happier at work because workplaces are running in a more inclusive way um, to enable HR teams to have an easier life and be happier at work. Um, and so it's, it sort of really brings my two passions together um, in terms of the work that we do um, with people um, in HR teams and supporting line managers to really use data to support their, their people because our people are our greatest asset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're speaking my language now, Natalie, when you say things like using data to solve problems. I'm a total problem solver as well. It's what I've done my entire career. It's something I care, and you know, and it's for me, it's about finding something I really care about that is a problem that I do actually want to solve. So, you know, going beyond just helping big companies to sell more, it's about how do we create happier working environments, exactly like you said, but using data. So it's not just like, Sometimes I feel that people think this concept of being happier at work is airy fairy. It's a little bit fluffy. Um, and I'm sure listeners of the podcast realize that it's not. But there are other people out there who maybe don't realize the full extent of, you know, 
it's it's actually real, it's scientifically backed, and how can we actually do it? Um, so maybe, you know, let's kind of jump a little bit back and say, okay, so for me and from from what I can see out there in the market, there's not a lot of people who are currently using data at the moment to make decisions. No, CIPD are saying only 6% of HR professionals are using advanced analytical techniques to make business decisions um, and 30% collect and use very basic, basic HR data. But I mean, that's been the case for years. Um, okay. It so, hasn't actually changed over time. Yeah, the, and, you know, the 6% has grown, but 6% is so, so small. And what's really interesting is by the time this podcast comes out, we will have some research that will be out. And it's really the the key themes from it is that employees are demanding an era of transparency they're demanding yeah. more transparency in how decisions are made mm. and um they want to feel secure they want to feel that they've been treated fairly and um I know there's some nervousness about using data to make decisions and we see things in the press, right? We see the Amazon algorithm that only hired white men and people really panic. But there are ways that you can avoid that happening. And um, I certainly don't advocate for data to be used instead of people. Um, and we shouldn't be automating our decisions about people. So, you know, data can be used to predict your top talent. What I'm not suggesting is that should automatically fire our emails and say, you're promoted, you're not, right? Yeah, That's yeah, not yeah. the right answer. But we do see that people often get overlooked in a promotion process, and um, particularly cultural factors affect that. So um, I might not be prepared in a large company to jump up and down and tell everyone how marvellous I am. And other people might be. And other people might be able to go to all the drinks events to network and I might not be able to but that doesn't mean that I'm not doing a great job but actually if you are less aware of my work it's you know through no fault of anybody's I may get overlooked mm. and so what data can do is to inform the people who are making the decision so it's not just a subjective decision but it's a data-driven decision to understand actually who is showing the characteristics of real top talent, um, what success are they having, and try and make that a more balanced and inclusive conversation. Um, so it's a sort of partnership between the human intelligence, because of course, this is about people and how they connect with people and how they work in the environment. And there's things that data will never be able to show you, but also using the data to make sure that the decisions you're making are grounded in reality and not in some subjective opinions. And that's what people are telling us they want. That's what employees are saying they want. They're saying, even though it feels a bit nervy having people look at my data because it all feels very personal. And obviously, you know, you see a lot of things about data privacy in the news. They say they would rather that data was used to make decisions in the current current way it's done because it feels like it's just someone's opinion. Um, I think that's really interesting. But you're you're absolutely right. Like there's there's a few things to unpack there, Natalie. One of them is this idea of it being subjective. And I would absolutely agree. I've been at the other end of that process where we're discussing people and it's very much people's opinions of how people perform at work. And uh, the other thing that springs to my mind is, you know, if someone is an introvert, so I'm an introvert, but I'm a social introvert. So I would go to those social occasions. Um, and I, and over the course of my career, I've learned to tell people what I'm doing, what successes I've had. But I think there's a lot of people out there who who just don't know how to do that. And it's so it's so important to be able to get recognized that it's not it's not about politics and it's not about who knows you. It's about actually the job that you're doing or at the very least educating people on on how this works. And exactly like you say, Natalie, this idea of transparency and how are those decisions actually made? I would have loved to be transparent with my team and say, well, this is what happened. Actually, we all gathered in a room and we looked at the ratings that we gave you and we compared you to each other. And then we decided, uh, you know, oh, well, that person compared to that person. Well, actually, no, I think you need to bring that other person down because they're not quite as good, as, you know. And, oh, we have to have this split where it's only 10% can get the top rating and we have to... Or, yeah. you know, whatever it was I can't I remember the exact numbers <laughs> yeah exactly you know and the nine box grid and not everyone can be in the top right corner where they they um you know they get the top rankings in what they do and how they do it um but I think bringing a lot more transparency around that I mean that's 
that entire conversation in itself is probably a conversation for another day. You know, this whole performance yeah. management and how do we do it properly and how do we move away from the nine box grid and how do we support people and how, how do we not tie up our pay with uh, what people say about us and, and all of those kind of things. But um, I suppose for me, it would be great to understand if someone's starting on this journey, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening who are who are maybe they're not even just doing it yet. Like you said, 6%, like that's, it's a pretty shocking number, to be honest. Um, as someone who knows the, the power and the value that data can bring to an organization, like if that 6% are only, 6% are using advanced analytics is is pretty, <laughs> pretty dire number. And, you know, if that's a UK number, it's probably even lower in Ireland, to be honest. Um, and this is what I'm seeing. Like when I talk about things like people analytics, people's eyes sort of glaze over, they don't really know. And I think traditionally the people who would be using that data, so the likes of HR, that's not their strong area of skill you know they're they're good at relating to people not necessarily at looking at numbers so back to the kind of the question i have about this is if someone is looking to get started like where do they even start yeah for me it all starts with education and i think Mm. um i'm really passionate about how we support hr professionals to get this knowledge because if there's one thing hr professionals know how to do it's transform organizations and transformations work because of people and culture like any technology transformation you know so many technology transformations fail and they fail not because the tech is right or wrong they fail because of the culture and people and people being prepared to change and the process that's put around it and hr are the ones who know how to make that happen and um i really want to see a partnership between hr teams and data teams to transform organizations with data because the data teams are great at doing the stuff but they're not the ones who are going to create the culture change and they need the partnership of somebody who understands the people in the business who understands the levers that they have who understands how to make people tick we saw it with diversity and inclusion like you don't become a diverse and inclusive organization because you hire a head of diversity you become a diverse and inclusive organization because every line manager understands responsibilities and puts it into action in their day-to-day role every single person in the organization recognizes the things that they need to do the way that they need to behave to people to make to to make it an inclusive place um, and all those different things are happening across the business and so you can't suddenly become a data-driven organization by hiring a data team. It's sort of how do you transform the organization and the processes in it? How does the person, be they in HR doing the payroll or be they you know, in the sales team or be they in the logistics warehouse, how do they understand the information they're being fed and interpret it and take the next best action in their day-to-day role that's going to support the business? And so for me, education is the start point because actually we really need our HR teams to help us drive this across the business but actually they're not even doing it for themselves at the moment let alone supporting the transformation across the business Mm. and transformation starts with education so um, we did some really interesting research um, on data literacy so we've created this data literacy analysis, um, which we make everybody do before they go on our data for leaders course, which is all about supporting leaders to understand how to ask the right questions of data, how to what the art of the possible is with data and basically how to avoid things going wrong and spending a load of money on stuff that's not going to work. Um, so we make them all do this assessment. They, of course, get very competitive um, when they do this. <laughs> yeah. um, but we benchmarked it against 300 leaders um, across um, across the country. And actually, HR didn't score very well on it as a as a function. Um, but um, that, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, they're all quite rubbish. CEOs, by the way, <laughs> say are the worst. Uh, we're only 30 percent data literate. But the average is only 34 percent of leadership teams. And you sort of think, well, if that's what your leadership understands, then how can you possibly use data to drive your business strategy? And I think it's the same for HR, right? How can you possibly use it to drive your HR strategy? And actually, HR have a lot of data through ATS systems, through the information they gather in application processes, through the employee engagement surveys that they send out. There's loads of information and intel in there, but it's just currently not being put together and used to answer the key questions that they're trying to tackle. Um, And so starting by just doing some data literacy training by understanding what the art of the possible is, by understanding how do I, how do I go from, I've got this HR strategy, how do I translate that into a series of questions to ask my data talent, whether that's a data team, whether that's an external partner, whoever it is. Um, and 
that's got to be your grounding. The other sort of tip I would give HR teams in terms of getting going is to talk to your marketing team. Bizarrely, the two teams don't seem to talk in the organization very much, but they are both trying to attract, engage and retain people. Yes. Your HR team are doing it for your own people and marketing are doing it for your customers. But Mm -hmm. it's the same process. You're trying to achieve the same things. And marketing teams have typically been faster to use more modern techniques in this. There are, of course, some ethical things you need to consider when you're then transferring marketing practices to HR. Obviously, um, with customers, you want lookalikes of who spends the most. If you predict, if you looked at your top talent, you don't necessarily just want to replicate that because, as we saw with the Amazon algorithm, that creates bias based on who mm. your talent has been. So yeah, yeah. you may not achieve it. But there are ways to manage that. Um, so I think having a conversation to see how marketing are using these techniques and how it's helped them and how they started out, there's probably lots of shared lessons that can be learned. And so it's another really simple step um, just to start with and see there's probably quite a lot of stuff in your organization that you could actually already apply and use and just start playing with it's so it's so funny you say that Natalie just because <laughs> that is my background is market research and you know taking that data and exactly that so kind of isolating uh, specific types of behavior and looking at you know tracking that over time and, and things like that so it's so interesting and it's it's so true as well that the the two teams are so interlinked and yet they don't necessarily talk to each other or see how they can maybe help each other. There's a few things um, kind of coming up for me in relation to what you've said. So I suppose the first thing is that, that this idea of data literacy, and I don't know, are people afraid of, of what it is? But if you think of the likes of, a, like, say, a, a marketing director or a finance director, surely they know their numbers and they know how to show whether or not something they're doing is working, you know, whether that is um I never worked in finance, but I'm trying to think of of some examples, but like, you know, even things like revenue or things like, um, you know, collections or something like that. Surely they know how to translate what it is they're doing to show the impact that that's having on the business. And from a marketing perspective, you know, this is how to show, well, we ran this campaign and this is the impact that it had. These are the impressions it had. These are the, you know, all of these different kinds of things. So maybe people shy away from this idea of, oh, data, I'm not, I'm not data literate, but actually you're using it all the time, but you just maybe don't use that language. Yeah, I mean, we, we use it every day. I mean, AI is just look at you know some a device that can perceive its environment and take action based on that right so actually as humans we execute on that all the time you know you go and stand at the traffic lights you take into account what's going on and whether you cross the road or not and then you sort of cross the road and you make a judgment call of whether you move faster and we we as humans process huge amounts of data on a daily basis which we learn from as we get older you know you Mm. start the baby you don't understand it all and you sort of build it in like we, we have our own algorithms running essentially in our bodies, right? Yeah, we, yeah. we see what's going on, we process it, we use the knowledge we've already got and then we take action based on it. And that's sort of what data does as well. But I think the problem with um, data and AI particularly is it's got this sort of mystique around it. And it, it sounds... Does, yeah, when you say AI, very, I'm kind of like, like, oh no, now like, what, what is artificial intelligence? Is it the robots taking over the world? Like, yeah, exactly, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I was it's no good Terminator. at science school. Yeah, like, I was no good at science at school. I can possibly understand that. And actually, and the problem is the people who do practice it are geeks who like to talk in geeky language, right? And um, love them all dearly. <laughs> They work for me, but um, and it's it's that translation piece that's really difficult. But actually, um, it's not that it's not that scary. It's not that complicated. And and actually, it's where we see it going wrong that people aren't applying normal business logic and normal business processes to it. And so, actually, that's why it's not always creating value for people in their organisations. Um, and a lot of the stuff we have we teach on our um, data for leaders course and our data fundamentals course is essentially basic business planning you know, get your question right, ask the right question. Don't send people off uh, sort of down rabbit holes with vague briefs, right? We've always known that. Um, 
for all sorts of other things that we do. You wouldn't just put a job spec out saying, oh, we're quite interested in young talent to come and help us with some marketing and think, oh, yeah, now we're going to be able to hire a marketing analyst, would you? Yeah. Right? But <laughs> but that's what we do to our data yeah. people. We basically say, oh, we want some personalization or, well, we sort of need help to um, help me with performance management. Right, well, what, what question are you actually trying to answer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so and that's where we sort of see things go wrong. And so I think it's about sort of, as you say, not being scared of it mm. and recognizing it's something that's part of our daily lives, that by wearing an Apple Watch, you're <laughs> contributing so much data um, to someone else. You know, you're looking at your data every day. We are yeah. by opening an email. We're constantly having these value exchanges of data in our lives where it's saying where you're saying, OK, I will allow people um, to know more about me so I can have a more personalised email because I don't want to be sent men's shirts because I only buy them once a year when I'm buying it for a present for my brother-in-law and I don't mm. really want to be bombarded by you the rest of the year because I'm not that generous and I only buy for him once a year, right? Like, you know, so we'll we'll happily give our data to do those things or s- some people will. Um, and so we're actually using it all the time and we need to get a little bit more confident about not being scared to learn some more and realize how it can help us in our daily jobs because it can remove a lot of the manual stuff we do it can make us a lot more informed about what we're doing and it also um back to the transparency piece can really help us to help people be happier because you know you look at the equation to sort of get people to be happy and it's not about them always having their own way it's about fairness and respect people are happy to accept something even if they don't like it, as long as they think it's fair and as long as they understand it. And I think that's what data can go a long way to helping with um, because it can really help for us to be more transparent, for us to show that we are being fair and to explain. The decisions may not have been unfair before, but they were hidden. And so we can actually sort of use data to explain, right, these are the decisions we're making, these are the reasons why, this is the trajectory on, these are the things that you need to do, Uh, these are the things that will change things. And all of a sudden, people feel more content because they understand it, they can see what's happening, they don't feel that something's being hidden from them, and then they feel more secure. And when you feel secure, you are happier at work and you get the best out of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, the, this the idea of asking the right questions to begin with, I think, is really important. And something you brought up earlier in the conversation, and that I wanted to drill into a little bit more. So, thank you for bringing that up again. And you know, I've seen it countless times, being on the receiving end, being an agency who is working with clients, and they will provide a very either a very prescriptive brief saying, "I want this, this, and this type of analysis," which kind of belittles our own ability to decipher what they're trying to get to and you know when you're telling someone exactly what to do and how to do it it takes away that sense of autonomy which is something I talk about a lot on on the podcast um but then these really wide open vague briefs where you don't really know what it is that they're trying to get to and it's like we just want you to look at all of the data and pull out a story that you see and i kind of sometimes think it's like and i didn't get this about say if you're going for a blood test that they can just analyze it they can just test for everything and if you go for a blood test then they'll pick up any sort of thing that you have and that's not how it works you have to be very specific and say i want this blood test for a specific type of uh, illness and it's the same when it comes to data like it's really important to ask the right questions and what i see out there with a lot of companies when they are starting on this journey they're like we just want to have these reports and it's like what's the purpose of the reports and really it's not about just creating a suite of reports that you can check in and be like oh let's have a look at our absence or let's have a look at our uh, overall engagement scores it's about thinking right from the information that we already have what are the big questions that we have so if there is an issue around diversity and inclusion and let's take the hot topic of empowering more female leaders into senior positions in organizations so if you know that that's an issue in your organization what kind of initiatives can you run to close that gap for them to help more women to succeed? What kind of things can you do? How can you measure whether or not that is effective? And that's where the data comes in, in my mind. Like that's something, I suppose, on a personal level that I'm really passionate about is helping women leaders to get to those more senior positions. But how can we actually facilitate that? And 
you know, this idea of transparency and fairness and respect, I absolutely love that. And I and I totally buy into that as well. Like if you if we can be more transparent about how decisions are made, you know, someone retires or someone leaves the business and there's a gap in a in a leadership position, how are you making that decision of who who is going to to fill that gap, you know, and being transparent about that, you know, even if even if it's filled by a man rather than a woman, if you can say how you determined who got that position, then I think, um, yeah, it would, it would, you know, I feel like I'm on my soapbox now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I love your blood analogy. I think I might steal that from you. Do, it's, steal it's, the pride, it's, it's yeah. the why are you asking, why are you doing it? And we often yeah. see people or people being scared to start because they're like, oh, we don't have the data. Well, hang on, you haven't even worked out what you want to know. We can then yeah. tell you whether you've got the data or set it up to be collected appropriately, right? But um, exactly, yeah. you sort of, people start with the data and the answer is to start with the business, whether that's about we want to improve diversity in our organisation, whether that's um, we want yeah. to um, improve employee engagement. But why do you want to improve employee engagement? Well, actually, you want to do it because the current talent market is a nightmare and you're trying to improve retention, like you know that's probably why you're trying to do it so actually your question is about how do we improve retention and um you probably actually have a specific cohort that you're looking at because you know in all organizations like there are some people that we don't care if they leave right they've done their few years it's the right stage in their career we probably don't have the right next step for them it's you know you stay friends and and everyone moves on or or there's people who frankly probably aren't suited and weren't the right hire and actually it's better that they move on for everybody um and so it's not that we want to sort of hem in and keep every single employee that we have but there are key talent that you want to keep the right ones and and that will be very expensive to replace and I think um that's it's it's always about sort of starting with the why um in the same way as the blood test so why why do I care about this am I going to be able to take an action from it otherwise it's a pointless exercise so you know what if the leadership are not prepared to change the way we do promotions and performance management is there any point in me running this process is there any point in exactly. this data if um I'm asked if I ask all my employees about what they would like their training programs to look like but I've already bought my training catalogue for the next two years sort of what's the point right if I'm data on impact of interventions and learning and development and how that connects with progression and how that connects with progression of different cohorts um, and how that connects to employee engagement scores and are people um, more connected to the business after they've had that training that's really useful if I'm not then going to do anything with it and change the training that I buy or who goes on it or anything there is no point so I think it's really thinking about why you're doing it and then um being and again that's a value exchange being able to be clear with people oh give me this information it's going to be good for you because we're going to actually work out whether you as a top talent person that we're putting on our talent leadership program is going to get the training that's going to get you to the role that the person's just retired in and is going to be vacant um and again if we can share as much of that as we can it doesn't need to be hidden it doesn't need to be a black box we can share and take people on that journey that also helps them to really understand right well the impact of that training intervention was great for this cohort of people who were looking to do this okay I need that's right for me or actually that's not right for me because I've already got that experience by doing this so I should be on this pathway um and so I do think the transparency the transparency really helps and it builds confidence that organizations are trying to do the right thing and that they're not collecting this information for no reason yeah i think you raise a really valuable point around listening so don't ask the questions if you can't take action on the back of it and i think a lot of organizations make that mistake where they ask questions but they're they either don't listen to the answer or they've heard the answer but they're not actually willing to put into place you know to take actually to actually take action on the back of what it is that that their employees have said and the other thing I find with a lot of organizations rather than internally checking in with their own employees they look to see what's going on in the market 
to try and replicate, you know, and I get this all the time from my clients saying, oh, just wondering, you know, what are other people doing in this area? We want to kind of cut. And I'm, I, my question, my answer always is you need to check in with your own staff. You don't, you don't need to be looking at what's going on down the road and what are your competitors are doing. You, you know, you, of course, you can take ideas from what you can see publicly about what people are doing. But really what you need to do is check in with your own staff and see what it is that they want, what's going to work for them, especially now that we're in this hybrid working situation. I think, you know, some, you know, Elon Musk is mandating people back to the office. Other people are saying that's a terrible mistake. And, um, you know, other people are kind of struggling with bringing people back to the office or other people are are totally okay with like it's okay if you want to work remotely um some of the time as well so there's kind of lots of chopping and changing going on out there from what i can see as well absolutely i think um on the sort of looking taking ideas from other people like i'm a, i'm a big fan of sort of learning from others and we definitely don't all have it right but i agree with you and again this is where data can be really useful diagnose your problem first so for example yeah. We, um, as an organisation, very passionate, going back to your soapbox about women in leadership. Um, and over the last couple of years, we have gone from sort of 25% to 55% women in leadership. And we've got 46% now across the organisation up from twen- late 20s, I think. And um, so we've we've done really well on that. Um, and we meet or beat industry benchmarks on sort of lots of diversity criteria, all diversity criteria that are published um, from the industry. But we care about also being representative of where we're working. And so if you look at our Black, Asian, minority ethnic stats, and I won't get started on what a terrible way that is of grouping uh, people and a terrible capture of data. Yeah. But because that's what you can benchmark, we do we do look at that. We've improved and we are above the industry and we're above the UK, but we're based in London. So we need to do more on that. And particularly in our technical teams, we haven't got enough young black men and we're now part of this GLA program to share learning across different organizations to be able to tackle that problem. But if we just went into generic diversity stuff, we could be tackling the problem of like, you know, I go to other forums where people have got 10% of women in leadership in our industry because our industry is rubbish at it. Like I'm trying to tackle a problem I don't currently have when I have got problems in other areas that I need to sort of make progress in. And so I think that's why using the data and understanding your data and your trends and where things are at, how progression is moving, then you can say, right, so the actual problems I need to solve are these. These are the highest priority of those based on the business strategy, based on the time, effort, reward, et cetera. And then you then you go and you get your ideas from other people and then you can test them out um, rather than sort of... um, rather than blindly yeah. looking at what what's everyone else doing exactly, because it's got to be right for your yeah. context and i mean data yeah. data ethics is a big Ooh. area in sort of looking using data in hr and something i'm very passionate about and um that like we've created this good data guide which helps guide organizations through that look at the kpis they can be measuring to see whether they're progressing on it but we do, we're not giving them the holy grail of how to do it. We're giving them the guidance and the questions to ask themselves because in different contexts, and you've yeah. got to take your own values as an organisation, you've got to take your own context, your environment, your employees into account to make those decisions because the same data model can be used in different contexts and be fine or disastrously bad. So, you know, we built a data model to predict um which car someone's going to buy next, right? Most people, most customers are probably comfortable that you're not going to hassle me when I'm not in the market. You're only going to hassle me when I am. So you've used my historic data and some other information to to predict that, fine. You suddenly apply that to gambling and we're now predicting who could, it's the same data model, but you're predicting who's going to gamble next. And then a gambling institution is going to contact them and encourage them to gamble. Hmm. That's obvious, nobody would think that's okay. And so it's it's not really about the data models. It's about how you use them. And I think the that's why, again, having HR people educated on this, because they can really start to play that organizational context. They can start to support on assessing data ethics because technology does move faster than the law. So no one's going to give us the holy grail of exactly how we do this and how we do it right. We've got to make judgment calls. Um, And I think that's you know there's a huge role for hr to play in this but it really starts with 
them educating themselves, them getting confident about using data in their own day-to-day roles to then see how that can work across the organization. Um, the other thing you mentioned that I really wanted to pick up on was your stuff on hybrid working and this sort of new world of work mm. and how do you manage it? And um we're data geeks, right? So in lockdown, I got really worried because we're quite an informal flat structure. We sort of have hierarchy for, you know, need, but we don't operate on hierarchy um, and we're not very siloed. And then suddenly lockdown comes and really you're talking to your direct reports or your team. And I got really worried that we'd sort of become more hierarchical, we'd become more siloed. So being data geeks, I sort of went to my data team and said, I need you to solve this problem. And they built um, what we call the coffee roulette algorithm, which basically matched people randomly based um so we sort of optimized so you didn't match with your direct reports or your team our board joined in so they really got to know more junior staff which was great and um it was literally just informal coffee for 20 minutes we started every week we sort of made it every two weeks because we decided that was too frequent and then we did some Mm. group ones as well sort of putting different groups of people together and like 97 percent of employees said that helped them feel really strongly engaged in lockdown 87% said it helped them speak to a colleague that they don't normally have something to do with. And the mandate was absolutely, this is informal chats, like no agenda, not about work. But 53% said as a result of learning about people they wouldn't always talk to, their ability to do their jobs improved. And 61% Mm. learned more about what their colleague's job entailed. And it's, you know, that's a really simple data thing. It took us no time to build. It was plugged into Outlook. So it automatically spotted when you had the gaps in your calendar and popped it in. And, okay. you know, and it's it could work for um, if you've brought different brands together, for example, or if you've had acquisitions and you're trying to bring company together to be one or you want your sales teams from two different um, sort of brands to connect so that they're not sort of cannibalizing each other's market. Like, you know, that can work really well. And it doesn't matter then if people are in the office or they're remote because they can connect online. Um, and it's something really simple, but I think it just shows that you don't have to have this sort of huge data transformation of HR to just use data to do something really small to support employee engagement, to sort of support the new hybrid way we're working and to hopefully up your happiness at work, right? Well, there's a couple of things there, Natalie, that I'd love to just kind of to illustrate back to you, maybe if I can, is the idea that I think with hybrid working, the danger and with remote working, especially the danger is that people will lose visibility if they're not in the office, especially with those senior leaders. So it's great to have that option to connect with people at board level you know, with with someone who's maybe not in the office or someone who's more junior. And the other thing that you mentioned as well is that you were doing it every week and you realise actually that's a little bit too frequent. So you're kind of watching out for what's going on and then you're listening back to feedback and saying, okay, we need to change this. And I think that's something maybe that that organisations struggle with as well, that they're not listening for that feedback or they're they're doing something and saying, we have to do it at this frequency when actually you just need to modify, you need to be agile and and change it as it goes on and listen to what people are actually saying. And I think there's also lessons from sort of other ways data has been used to help you with that, right? So if you look at product people, they all have customer success functions. How a customer success person does their job is to look at the data of your usage of their product, where you're spending time, where you're not. Is there a dashboard you never use? Is there a sort of widget you're drilling into? Are people always like logging out after a certain point? Does that mean there's a problem? And they sort of use that data and analyze it to then be able to suggest, oh, look, actually you're finance team never uses I think we might maybe you might need to do some more training with them Uh, would you like this training package or you know actually we don't think you know you know you said that this was really important nobody uses it so let's not develop that let's develop this one instead because this is the piece that everyone goes to and you can do the same with your sort of your HR stuff so you know you've put these interventions in and actually there's probably loads of ways it's really easy to track them and capture that data without even having to hassle people to ask because particularly now we're working online a lot actually there's a digital footprint of what we're doing right so we can see usage of things in a way that we Mm. couldn't before you couldn't capture it and that helps with inclusivity so for example we can you can analyze say Microsoft Teams behavior and see who's in conversations and not because you're like super nosy um, but because you can then see which of the meetings that key decisions are being made in and actually who's attending those meetings and then who's sort of active in different networks in chats and 
because the risk with being remote is actually inclusivity is getting worse, not better. Um, and, you know, however diverse a workforce you have, it doesn't matter if they're not in the room when you're making the decisions. Yeah. And so in the virtual room, I should say. And so actually data can, again, help you to sort of track a measure of inclusivity by actually, are we including these people in the meetings? Are we including them in the decisions? And do we have um, enough progress? Are, Are certain networks being formed in the company and others not? And how do we like create the right nudges to change that so that maybe our new employees who would ne- have never worked in the office have actually got a lot less connections than the ones who have or maybe we've got a hybrid workforce and again we see the ones that are remote don't have the same connections or the ones that are remote have better connections so how do we then listen to that and respond to that run a focus group to agree some things to test and test things out and it's not sort of about employee surveillance, but it's very, I mean, I knew I, I knew somebody who they basically realised that someone, they didn't, hadn't realised that this person was still working for them and they were still working for them six months later. Um, the CEO said, well, I mean, not great of us really, was it? But like they had so little connection with anybody in the business. Um, okay. Like it just yeah. wasn't happening. And obviously they weren't getting their money's worth out of that employee because no one was connecting with them, but they yeah. were still paying. No one even realised. And, so, and yeah. that's a really extreme example, but it's not uncommon. And so, um, you know, but it's also important because you can use some of these tools to also check in that people are, taking the breaks that they need to because the other exactly yeah 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 it's the opposite it's not checking in on how much people are doing and what keystrokes they're taking but but rather the opposite and um, I'd love to know Natalie before we wrap things up do you have any solid examples that you can share without naming specific organizations of implementing like or using data to make better decisions or to to affect transformation in organizations yeah so we did some um Great work, uh, which we really enjoyed with a financial services institution last summer, for example, who were really, really keen to look at the diversity. And so that was about analysing progression of different diverse cohorts. And what was really interesting from that was they actually realised that despite, and I mean, they put so much effort into initiatives, but actually their picture was getting worse on women. And we were able to identify exactly where, first of all, that actually there weren't enough women going into the hopper to change things, but also where they were losing them and what to. Um, Mm. And we also identified that when women stayed, they were their most valuable employees. Um, So it it creates also the financial case to have, you know, even if the board don't care, there's a financial Mm. argument for it, which is supports the business case to invest in initiatives. But the biggest thing that women were leaving for was education. And so actually what they were able to then do is put in place a programme that enabled you to study alongside your job and made allowances for that and supported you to do that, which could quite easily tackle the biggest reason they were losing women. So it's a really small sort of snippet of an example, but just goes to show that it can lead to really, you know, really good understanding, direct action, and then hopefully start to reverse those trends, which, of course, they need to keep monitoring over time. It's not the only thing they're implementing, but... Um, a really clear example. Um, so, I mean, that's that's one good example. Um, another really interesting example is about sort of where you overlay <coughs> data sets together from different teams. And this is where um, one of our clients overlaid their manufacturing data with their HR data and suddenly saw that the, bit, the reason that they were having to do rework in their manufacturing um, pipeline because of quality, um, which obviously costs them money, not doing it once, having to redo it, was because yeah, of absence. Yeah. And that was only picked up because it was overlaid with the HR data sets. But then they were able to say, because so then you say, well, are people unhappy? Is that why they're absent? But then you're able to say, okay, so one, we can start to predict when absence is going to happen. So then we can make sure we've got temporary employees and et cetera to make sure that the production line runs. But more importantly, let's start to look at the underlying causes for that absence. So is it because the World Cup's on and no one shows up because they're sitting at home watching TV, right? (laughs) Is it because there's 
problems on the trains and so people give up and go home? Or is it because it's people who aren't moving stations and so therefore are bored? Or it's because people are moving stations and therefore a bit lost? Or the person who did their induction is a common denominator. Um, and then actually, mm. do we need to look at how that person delivers induction? Or their manager is a common denominator. And do we need to support them with some more train people and development training do a little bit more digging into how those relations are working so it's another really good example of actually just a simple overlay of data sets spotted how they could a make sure that they saved more money and got things off on time but b were able to then sort of dig into the root causes and tackle the real people related issues which would lead, lead no doubt to a happier workforce because absence is also a sign of potential churn risk. So then you also, it also then leads to retention. Um, so yeah, just a couple of very different examples, but I hope give a bit of a flavor. But yeah, really, but really, really insightful. Thank you for sharing those. Now, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, Natalie, what does being happier at work mean to you? So for me, um, I just think we spend so much of our time at work and you've got to enjoy what you do. And of course, there's bits of all of our jobs that are frustrating, irritating, boring, um, but they should be the minority and you should get joy from what you do. And they that looks different to different people. Different people thrive in different environments. Um, but for me, like you've got to get up most mornings and sort of want to go to work. And sort of my test, I think when someone um, said to me, I want what would you do if you won the lottery? I said, I'd buy the business and grow it, not I'd give up work. And I think for me, mm. that was a sign that I am in the right job and I am happy at work. And, um, you know, we work very hard to try and make our team happy at work as well and create the right balance. But, you know, being happy for everyone means different things. So it's about finding the right fit for you. And and that's why, you know, interviewing is so important. It's a two-way process because it's yeah, not, yeah. you know, the same job, the same culture, the same circumstances are not the right thing for everybody. And that doesn't mean success or failure. That's just about understanding yourself, understanding yeah. what works for you, understanding where you get your energy and what takes away your energy and finding the fit with an employer where actually most of what you do gives you energy doesn't take it away yeah yeah 100 yeah speaking my language now and if people want to connect with you if they want to find out more about what you do what's the best way that they can do that um so i have a really horrible surname but the good thing about that is there are not many natalie cramps so you can find me really easily on linkedin um and also at our website, um, which is www.profusion.com. But please do reach out to me. Um, also, by the time this is launched, we will have the a research, which is about what employees are demanding. So I'd be really happy to share that with anybody um, if they want to reach Brilliant. out to me. And um, thank you so much. So we can put a link to that in the show notes as well. Right. So if you want to check out the show notes, the link can we can share that directly there. Yeah, brilliant. Great. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation uh, right up my alley, talking all things data and how we can use it to create happier working environments. So I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I love chatting to you. Thank you for having me. There you have it. That was Natalie Cramp from Profusion talking all things how to solve problems using data, using data to make better decisions and have better transparency at work, which I think is really, really important. And I can't wait to dive into that research that Profusion has carried out in relation to this and what employees are actually screaming out for. So if you want to get involved in the conversation, I would love to connect over on social media. You can do that through LinkedIn. LinkedIn, Aoife O'Brien, that's A-O-I-F-E-O apostrophe B-R-I-E-N, or connect through the website happieratwork.ie or Instagram, which is also happieratwork.ie. Now, we started with, you know, the fact that employees actually want more transparency in how decisions are made. And it's not about automating everything and you know, letting machines take over. And I'm kind of having visions now of Terminator back in, you know, from 1984 or whenever that was. Um, but it's not about that. 
And again, when we're talking about things like the characteristics of top talent, that can bring some bias into things. So it's again, it's it's using the human intelligence combined with data. And how do we get started with that? So first of all, it's about education. So it's supporting HR professionals to get that education, to teach people how to use data and having a partnership between HR and data to drive transformation in organisations. So really it's about understanding how to use data, you know, data literacy and training people what that actually is. And the second piece then is to talk to marketing. Really, it's about this, you know, uh, connecting with other parts of the organisation who maybe have the skills to do what it is that you're looking to do. And one of the really important things that came through, and this is something I say to clients all the time, is to start with the question. Um, so really, it's it's so important to start with, well, what is the question that you're trying to answer here? And do you have the data to be able to answer that question or do you need to gather it in some way? And um, one of the things that Natalie mentioned as well is this idea of applying normal business logic. So, you know, it's not don't be afraid of data. Don't be afraid of the, of the terminology. It's what you do on a day to day basis is applying normal business logic. And it's not different to when it comes to looking at and analyzing data. Sometimes when we have data, they're not always creating the value that we need them to have in the business. And we touched on this idea of having very vague briefs. And I definitely in my history of market research have come across that multiple times. I did touch on, on some of the examples there where sometimes the, the brief is way too vague and you're trying to get absolutely everything that you want just by looking at a whole heap of data, which is of no real benefit to anyone. I use the analogy of the blood test. So you have to be really specific about what it is that you're trying to get to. The other thing that we used to say back in the day when I was working in market research was rubbish in, rubbish out when it comes to the data, or we probably used less uh, less pleasing terms than rubbish. But basically, when it's, it's about the data that you have there already and how good that data is as well. It's not something we necessarily touched on during the podcast, but something worth bringing up that it's important to have good solid data that actually means something as well, that it's not, you know, that there's not loads of holes in it, that there is and uh, that it's actually meaningful, that it's that it's honest, that it's authentic, that people are being their their true selves. Another thing that we spoke about is the link between transparency and happiness. So the importance of people having that transparency because it builds a sense of fairness and respect. So it's not about, you know, being upset that you didn't get it, but understanding the reasons behind the decision and knowing that it was done from a fair perspective and having that transparency, I think, is, is really, really important. Now, I did mention this already, but it is so important to start with a question. So what is the question? What's the burning issue that you have right now? And and if you're getting started on this journey, you should have a sense of what that underlying question is like what what are the big issues at, at the moment that you want to answer maybe there's multiple maybe you need to prioritize what are the ones that you really want to focus on so one of the things that we talked about as well is this idea of reta retaining the right talent so it's not about you, you just want to retain everyone it's understanding who are the most expensive to replace so if you lose people who are the most expensive ones that you replace or if there's some people who are underperforming and it's not that important that you lose them or it's it's not that impactful, let's say, if you lose them, then they're maybe not that expensive to replace uh, if they're not adding all that much value. Now, one of the important things as well is to start with why. So like thinking about what action you can actually take on the back of the questions that you're going to ask or the data that you're going to look at. We touched on the idea of listening as well and the importance of listening to your own staff as a first port of call rather than looking to what other organisations are doing. But once you know the problem that needs to be solved, you can get those examples or you can get those ideas from elsewhere as well. But the, it's really important to first listen to your staff. Now, I do have some examples to share from my own experience of working. Uh, you know, I stuck my hand up, I volunteered for for the people analytics team in my last corporate role, uh, which exposed me to, you know, to have really, really great connections with global team of people doing stuff. 
But some of the mistakes that we made in terms of like not comparing apples with apples, because there were lots of changes going on in the organization globally. There was a restructure. We changed how we did the rating system. And so what we were looking to do was to measure the effectiveness of a leadership development program, which I was part of. So it was interesting to see it from a couple of different perspectives, from the perspective of I'm taking part in this program and I can see now what they're looking at to determine whether or not this program was successful. But also from the perspective of a data perspective, we were not, like I say, not comparing with apples with apples because of so many changes and the challenges then that from a data perspective that can be encountered by organizations because of just business changes that happen. So it was really interesting. I think it's important to know that you need to compare like with like rather than if there are any changes, it's really hard to to run comparisons over different time periods or measure changes or the impact if there are other structural changes happening in the organization as well. Uh, we talked about taking people on that journey and showing them how decisions are made and showing them how you're listening and how you're implementing change as a result of that. It really builds confidence in the organization as well. We talked about the importance of having the right people in the room where decisions are being made. And I can't reiterate that enough. It's so important. And one example that springs to mind is the Apple when they were designing their health function on their iPhone, which I use my iPhone. I love it. They didn't they didn't have a woman in the room and they didn't think to include period tracking in their health app. And, you know, as someone who tracks their periods on a monthly basis, this is something that was kind of came as a bit of shock and not something I talk about often on the podcast, but 50% of the population is experiencing this. And suddenly you're kind of cutting out or annoying 50% of people who are, are potentially going to use or buy your product. Um, so the importance of having the right people in the room. Now, the last thing I'll leave you with is having that financial argument. So being able to use data to prove the value that HR brings to an organization, whether that is looking at retention figures or leadership development or looking to take on additional staff based on the workload that you have and the value that you bring to the organization is really, really important as well. And I will leave it there for today. As I mentioned, please do get involved in the conversation. I would love to know what you thought of today's podcast. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am so glad you tuned in today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love to get your thoughts. Head on over to social media to get involved in the conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love if you could rate, review it or share it with a friend. If you want to know more about what I do or how I could help your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.